0: From Manhattan Associates, welcome to the Nucleus of Innovation, your leading retail and supply chain podcast with industry-leading experts and guests tackling some of the most important and pressing topics in development around the globe, including the latest innovations happening today and how to prepare for the supply chain and retail challenges of tomorrow as well. Looking ahead to our second virtual Momentum Connect, we're reminded that the last 12 months have been some of the most challenging but also maybe the most transformational in the history of the supply chain industry. The impact of COVID-19 has unquestionably been far-reaching for societies, industries, organisations and individuals. And while its effects have accelerated many trends such as e-commerce and digitalisation, which were already underway, it has also been the catalyst for some pretty revolutionary new ideas around processes and approaches, especially in the supply chain space. As a Momentum Connect special episode, I'm delighted to be joined for the first time on the show by Manhattan's senior vice president of product management, Brian Kinsella, to discuss one of the most hot-button topics on the table, and not just Momentum Connect this year, but also in the wider industry at the moment: the topic of supply chain unification. Brian, it's a it's a busy time of year, especially with with Momentum coming up, and I'm delighted that you could spare us some time to join the show today. Um, You've been at Manhattan for nearly twenty years now, and I'm guessing it's fair to say that you've never seen anything quite like the scenes we've witnessed over the last twelve months.
1: Well, hello, uh, James, and, and glad to be here today. Um, yeah, I think I'll. I guess my response to that is is a little bit of yes and a little bit of no, and and what I mean by that is uh, certainly the global pandemic is a uh, is a singular event, and and it's been it's been at a on a human level. Uh, something that we haven't quite experienced before. I, I would from a supply chain standpoint, I look at it a little bit differently from the standpoint of um, look, I mean as long as we've been here or I've been here and working with customers, so there's always been something you know that they're that they're trying to tackle and, and so forth and um, you know whether it's the, the digitization of commerce, uh, whether it's you know the advent of automation in the facilities and, and new forms of automation, um, you know, whether it's channel shift, uh, or, or other factors, labor shortages, transportation capacity crunches, port delays, uh, strikes at a port. Um, these things are normal. Uh, you know, We think of them as exceptional, but in fact, they happen all the time. And I think what it points us toward is the need for supply chain processes and, and accordingly, supply chain systems that are built to roll with the punches. Whether that's a a capacity situation in terms of being able to do more quickly, in terms of certain types of fulfillment, um, or being able to chop and change the um, the processes themselves and reconfigure them to meet new needs, uh, you know what I think this is all headed toward is is the supply chain practitioner, supply chain professionals are really customer service. Uh, representatives they're they they have a very direct impact on the end customer experience, and so um from that standpoint, I think this is really just another chapter in the ongoing evolution of of what uh you know what our customers have been faced with over the course of the last twenty years
0: that's uh, that's really really interesting that you describe it like that Brian um and describe it like a a chapter, maybe at some stage. In the next 20 years, you'll you'll write the annals of a supply chain professional, um, and that that will make for some some interesting reading, maybe.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think we've seen you know quite a lot of change if you look at it over that sort of time horizon. Uh, I mean, if you look at it from a more macro level, what you might observe is that you know 15 to 20 years ago there was this intense focus on topics like optimization and optimality and taking uh, costs out. Uh, and efficiency and so forth. And, and look, that that'll always be important. and that's but but that's sort of moved to almost a table stakes category now. Um, I think what we're seeing more in the last few years is a real focus on agility, uh, speed, of change, you know, being able to to innovate uh, our, our customers thinking of their supply chain uh, as a tool of differentiation. Uh, to help differentiate their businesses from their competitors, um, and uh, you know, systems of the past that really were focused on uh, the big algorithm uh, or these big complex processes can be a challenge to. To adapt and to morph uh, on a, a daily, weekly, monthly basis as uh, as the business is challenged to adapt. So, I think from a technology standpoint, we've really had to change our approach and really had to to ask ourselves what's most important as we look to invest in uh, in the underpinnings of the architecture.
0: That's that's very very pertinent point there, Brian. And if we think about it as as these ongoing chapters of change within supply chain, that leads us on quite nicely. To, to the main uh, topic of today's episode, and that's supply chain unification. So in in the context of, of COVID-19, we're all familiar with these macro influences that have impacted supply chains over the last year. Um, and I, I think with the exception of, of some rushes on hand sanitizer and toilet paper and dry pasta, we can all agree that supply chains have shown remarkable resiliency. And, and with that in mind, why exactly do you think that the topic of supply chain unification has become such a such a hot topic such a hot hot button topic uh, right now
1: well i think um you know the the shift toward uh, always focusing on the desired end outcome which is customer satisfaction the perfect order the perfect delivery means that uh it makes less and less sense to look at individual processes in isolation you know what's my pick rate in the dc what's my units per hour those things remain important uh, because you know for for those for that workforce um and that management team, that's a way of looking at it. Um, however, ultimately, uh, up a level or two at the organizational level, uh, really, the the end customer outcome is, is what's most important. And putting KPIs and metrics around things like click to ship, click to deliver times, um, uh, net promoter score, uh, how much has the post-purchase experience uh, turned into. Um, a way to to make our customers into evangelists for our brand all of that requires an end-to-end look at the process from the time a customer clicks submit or the time a b2b customer submits their order through edi uh, through the time that uh, those goods arrive at the B2b customer or on the doorstep of of the direct-to-consumer customer uh, and in chopping it up into pieces uh, and saying okay this is a WMS function and this is a TMS function really makes it difficult uh, to look at the, the true end-to-end process there uh, and to really measure and improve what that experience is for the for the end customer um, you know we in, in the omnichannel world we talk about not wanting to have silos, we don't want channel silos. Well, in supply chain, we don't want process silos. We don't want warehousing siloed from transportation. We really, we really want to think about how does a collection of components um, that encompass both WMS and TMS capabilities, how do they collaborate and work together to achieve that end goal and end outcome of uh, higher customer satisfaction when it comes to fulfillment and delivery.
0: That's. That's a great point, and I love I love the visualization of of that. How you describe that with no no process silos and, and describing it from the WMS and the TMS perspective, and and the post purchase experience. That's that's an interesting an interesting take on it, isn't it? What what, what have you um, from a consumer perspective over the last twelve months? What what's been your best post purchase experience from a brand? You don't have to name the brand. But um, no doubt you've been purchasing as much as everyone else has on online and such, and and you must have some interesting stories about that. What's what's your best, most um, most satisfying post purchase experience?
1: Mm, Well, I I mean I think probably the two the two components of the experience that are most important and and that directly impact my happiness that the the most directly are one would be visibility slash transparency. So can I see what's going on? Uh, do I have a line of sight on when that fulfillment is is going to arrive? And even if it's going to be late, am I notified proactively? Is a new, na- a new date provided? So that I can plan, uh, because from a fulfillment standpoint, no one likes surprises. Number two would be, can I take action? Uh, can I have a say in the fulfillment of that order after I click submit? Or Once I click submit, is it essentially, you know, into the ether, into a black box uh, uh, over which I have no control, which, which tends to be more typical, but the best experiences I think would let me do something like change a quantity after I submit it, decide that I'd rather pick it up at a local store versus have it delivered or vice versa. I was going to go pick it up, but Hey, can you ship it to me? Um, If I had it reserved for pickup in a store, I'd like to be able to say, ah, my schedule changed, uh, I need to pick it up two days later than uh, than being in there today, please hold it for me, um, and, and really being able to interact with the delivery process or the fulfillment process after I've submitted that order. Um, and I think that's really where, where supply chains are going, uh, as is letting the customers provide a level of self-service on their or- order post Uh, post-submit, post-purchase. And, uh, you know, because I think when people feel in control, you know, that's when they feel the happiest and that's when they feel the most satisfied. When they feel like they can't see what's going on and even if they could, they can't do anything about it. Um, that's when you feel, you know, sort of least happy, right? And and, you know, that's when you feel like, well, um, I'm just waiting for this thing to show up or I'm I'm putting my full faith in in, in the brand, but um but don't have any control over the process. So I think those two elements are, are we're gonna see a lot more investment in those areas of, of in this notion of customer centricity. I mean customer centricity, that term tech- typically would have meant historically How do I engage the customer pre-sale? How do I give them a compelling digital experience online or on mobile? But I think a lot of those same mindsets can apply post purchase as well.
0: Yes, um, I I completely agree. Uh, Nothing frustrates me more than the lack of visibility when you when you place that order and and you're waiting for the text message to come through or the email to come through and then suddenly it arrives at the door. Yes, so so good points there, and and to bring that back a step to this this no process silo, um, which you mentioned earlier, how have legacy systems uh, and, and 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 hardware and approaches inhibited the the evolution of supply chains to 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 be able to to deliver on all those things of customer centricity, visibility, and and so on and so forth?
1: Well, I mean, I think what we if we zoom out a little bit, what we can observe is that anytime um, you take systems and you connect them via a finite number of data feeds back and forth, you know, sort of bi-directional data flow, you'll always have limitations um, about what you can do, either from an agility and change standpoint, which gets to that, you know, customer-centric, you know, can I can I drive my order post-purchase? Um, uh, and, and also from an optim- optimization standpoint as well, because all I can do is really solve problems that live within these boundaries, with it, that live within the boundaries of this box. Um, and oftentimes, when you're trying to do that, you'll want to affect something on uh, sort of the other half. You'll you'll be in the TMS and you'll want something to behave differently within WMS. You'll want the orders loaded into the trailer faster to get the trailer pushed off the dock, um, or you'll be in WMS uh, and and you'll want something to happen differently in the TMS in terms of maybe inbound shipments and knowing when they're going to arrive and what that means for your labor plan. Um, and, and when you tie systems together with these finite data flows, you really don't have a- uh, access to the underlying application capabilities or logic so for example if TMS knows that you know a third of my inbound shipments or a quarter of my inbound shipments are running late uh, it ought to be able to reconfigure the inbound appointment calendar and it ought to be able to drive uh, a change to the labor plan in the distribution center accordingly because the the trailers are going to be late Um, Today, that's essentially impossible or or without unified systems, that's essentially impossible because um, there is no data feed that would do that. Um, But when you have a component-based architecture and that WMS labor plan is just one uh, API call away and you're you're deployed in the same cloud, um, that WMS capability around labor planning is no different from other TMS capabilities that co-locate with TMS. It's just another supply chain execution component. And so the types of problems we can solve by having these these components deployed together, it really just unlocks a whole new world. I,
0: I really like what you said there about um, solutions being one one API away. I th- I think that's that's a really strong message, isn't it, for the for a cloud first approach. And that brings us on to 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 a final question for you then, Brian. In your opinion, and you sort of alluded to this in a couple of your other answers, but let's go into a bit more detail here. What does a unified, future-ready supply chain
1: look like for you? You know, I I, I think, you know, back to that notion of uh, if I've got all of those components uh, deployed in a common cloud, in, in a common location, um, it really just gives me more choice and it gives me more flexibility to adapt over time so if i want to change my something about my outbound process to adapt to um, changing customer demand uh, or channel shift or really anything else that happens in the market some of the things we talked about earlier that we tend to look at as exceptions and isolated events but when you look at it over the fullness of time which you realize is they're actually pretty common if you have all of those components deployed together, now uh, reconfiguring an end-to-end process that spans both the WMS and the TMS just got a whole lot easier. Uh, because without that, what winds up happening is um, you may be able to support what you want to do in one half of the equation, call it WMS in this case, but but not in the TMS. And I would have to go upgrade my TMS or enhance my TMS to do that independently, um, and I may break something else or I I really what probably winds up happening is I've got to incur some sort of six month or eight month project timeline to get the systems at the same quote unquote version level Uh, in in an approach like what we're taking now all that goes away I mean there is no integration between the systems because there's no integration all the components are together and they all sort of live together in the same deployment Um, and um, and you never have to you never have to worry about Uh, upgrading them because we keep them on the latest version all the time for you in the background. And uh, probably most importantly, what happens is, as we're looking to uh, innovate over time and support new processes, we're always looking end to end. uh, And we're never going to break something in TMS uh, by by enhancing something in WMS or vice versa, because the flow is always designed uh, and built and delivered in an end-to-end manner. Um, and we think that ultimately that's where this will all go, is that this notion of having separate systems for WMS and TMS will make less and less sense uh, over time. Uh, and um, and really, it's just an artifact of, of how software companies were traditionally put together. You know, back to 20 years ago, that's really the only options that customers had. Um, but I think things are evolving, and um, it really just doesn't make sense to think of those as entirely separate integrated systems anymore.
0: Quite quite right. It's it's astounding, really, where we've come in the last in the last 20 years since the turn of the century. And I think two two key words there that you mentioned, which really jump, jump off the page for me are a choice and flexibility. That's, that's really what the, what a future ready supply chain is all about.
1: Well, no doubt, because I mean, I think if you, if you talk to our customers, you know, what, where they have really shifted to is, is, is speed and, and, The number of conversations I have where the customer says, you know, what we're really trying to do is get faster at reacting and responding to what our customers want. It's, It's all about speed and let's try new things and if they don't work, it's okay. You know, we'll try something else and really moving away from this, you know, 18 month, 24 month. Big bet, big project, uh, and trying to get to that more agile mindset, which we of course you know just inherently relate to because years ago you know we shifted our own design and development methodology to that, you know, to going to two week agile sprints and shipping the product in quarterly releases and really moving away from annual cycles or or these types of things. So I think it's a better model. Uh, it allows us to learn as we go. It allows us to uh, adapt, you know, more quickly to to what's going on, not have to get it perfect the first time, and, and and ultimately get enhancements to our customers faster.
0: Well, that's that's great. And on that very insightful note, thank you, Brian. That that draws today's special Momentum Connect episode to an end. I'd like to thank our VIP guest today, Brian Kinsella, and I'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. If you'd like to take part in any future episodes, do feel free to send us a DM via Twitter with a suggested topic. That Twitter handle that you'll need is Man H News. or you can reach out to us on LinkedIn if you prefer. If you've enjoyed today's episode and want to find out more about any of the topics Brian and I discussed, or indeed any of the topics on show at Momentum this this month, look out for the news coming out of Momentum Connect on our social media handles, including the hashtag #hashtag. Manhattan Momentum. And of course, don't forget our website too. Until next time, it's goodbye from Brian. Goodbye. And it's a thank you from me for listening. Stay well, everybody, and join us again soon on the Nucleus of Innovation.